Good evening, and welcome to the Television Graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast in which we will analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran one season or sometimes only one episode. For our first month, we are going to look at the best and worst of short-lived reality TV. Please welcome my co-host and grave robber of the TV show's past, Noah Houlihan. Glad to be here. We dug up something pretty gruesome for our first episode here. It's pretty bad, guys. I'm, I'm dropping the Elvira Mistress of the Dark character, like, real quick, because this one's... Guys, this is some... This is dark. Yeah, this is... Might, might just be the meanest television show to ever appear on the boob tube. Like, I'm, I'm really surprised that this didn't spawn an actual serial killing. I honestly would not be surprised. I, I was afraid someone was going to take their own life in this. So far, I, based on the research I did, no one did. Uh, so, if you haven't read the title yet, that show is called WB's Superstar USA. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Brian McFadden here in Hollywood, home to the WB Superstar USA. It's the most anticipated show of the year. You know, people said we couldn't do it. People said we shouldn't do it, but we did. A hoax so ambitious, you won't believe your eyes or ears. Thousands of singers auditioned, all believing that we were searching for America's best singer. But we're not. We're actually searching for America's worst singer. And to pull it off, we enlisted dozens of crew members, teams of dancers, and hundreds of screaming fans, all to create the illusion of a real talent show. Now, why do we do this? Because we were bored by all the cookie-cutter pop idols being crammed down our throats. Now, forget talent, forget vocal ability. We're looking for a true entertainer, someone who is fun to watch. So do yourself a favor, America. Get ready. Our search for America's worst singer starts right now. And they're, for some reason, want to put their name on that. Uh, my theory for why they wanted to make sure it said WB Superstar USA is if you watch any of it, it looks a little low rent, especially in the beginning of the season. And I think they wanted to assure contestants they were not being taken to a murder farm to have their organs harvested. Well, to begin, what this show basically is, and if you don't understand it, don't worry, the show will explain it to you. Every single episode, at least eight times. But This it, is not an exaggeration. It is a parody of American Idol, where teens and early 20-somethings try to achieve their dream of being a superstar singer. But the twist is, they are secretly looking for the worst singer in America. The worse you are, the further in the competition you move until someone is crowned the worst singer. And how will they react when the hoax is revealed to them? Uh, This was done over seven episodes that ran over May and June in 2004. Each episode was 45 minutes long, but has approximately 20 minutes of new content and 25 minutes of rerun old content from previous episodes. So much reused footage. Like, this ran seven episodes, but clearly 
it could have run about three. I would say four. Three or four episodes. I think they could have done two episodes of auditions instead of, I believe... No, they did do two episodes it's, of auditions. It's two episodes of auditions, but I believe the third episode was just revealing who the top 12 was. Yes, the third episode is revealing and ambushing the top 12 at home. So once we reveal the top 12 in that, that episode, the fourth episode is them going to Hollywood and competing. Then we limit that down to eight Yes, the the top 12 are immediately whittled down to eight in the fourth episode. The fifth episode edit is movie soundtrack night. Yes. Where they force each of them to do a song from a movie soundtrack and then eliminate four more players. And then the sixth episode is a complete and total waste of time. And only one person is eliminated. Yes. For the final three to be in the finale. Yes, and then the final episode is the final three sing, and after two are eliminated, they do the big reveal that they lied to you. We lied to you. We're going to roll that clip, because if you watch one episode, you will see this at least three times. And how will they react when they discover it's all a giant hoax? We lied to you when we said you were a great singer. Uh, Every commercial break, almost to the point where the, uh, the ad bumper... Is just that guy saying we lied we to you. We lied to you and people gasping. We lied to you. The first couple episodes are very American Idol standard of the auditions. We're going to just handle the first two episodes yeah. together. We, we can break it down. And I remember I watched these when they were on TV. I didn't know the show existed until like last week. Because uh, the thing about this thing that appealed to people at the time, at least to me, was American Idol was big. I went to a performing arts school. So everybody talked about American Idol. And I would always watch American Idol for the first three episodes so I could enjoy the people who were bad at it. And they made a show that was just the people that were bad at it. So of course I wanted to watch this. But it wasn't entertaining. And the thing is, they also did show good auditions. And what would happen is a good auditioner would get through and we'd see a little bit of them sing... And then the judges, who are Tone Lock, Vitamin C of Graduation and Smile fame. T- Tone Lock of the Funky Comadina, Blank Check, and Ace Ventura's friend fame. And Chris Briggs, whose known four page on IMDb includes Poseidon. And that's all you need to know about him. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the Simon Cowell type. Except, like, rapey. Yeah. And I, I don't say that lightly. We're going to get into him a little bit more, especially in uh, in reaction to one of the competitors. He is outright sexually harassing people in this show. It's The sexual harassment level in this show is kind of bonkers. I mean, it's 2018, so it's obviously a big topic of conversation now. But I'm shocked it flew even 15 years ago. Yeah. Because it's, it's bad. Yeah. And so... They're trying to parody American Idol, so it's your basic American Idol audition episodes. It's a nationwide search, which is only four stops. Yeah, it's Minneapolis, uh, Las Vegas, Orlando, and Philadelphia. Philadelphia! Uh, Which was particularly harrowing, because we were 18 in 2004, roughly, and we had this fear that we were going to see a person we knew. Yeah, this brings up my first 
real big suspicion about this show. Because this would be my senior year of high school. And I had... I went to a performing arts high school. So I knew people who were going out for American Idol. So the fact that no one in my school knew about this, I find very suspicious that the auditions were in Philadelphia and none of us went. Well, it's been confirmed by uh, one of the contestants, JoJo, said in an interview that he was actually scouted and recruited at a karaoke bar to audition. Oh, interesting. After singing Right Said Fred's classic, I'm Too Sexy. Oh, so they scouted people in karaoke bars. They also did do uh, website listings. Okay. I imagine because of the premise of the show, I couldn't find the audition listing anywhere. I did look. Uh, But I imagine because of the nature of the show, you probably had to be at least 18 to audition, which is why no one in your high school would have gone. Right, I'm sure it was 18, 19, because this whole premise of tricking someone is somehow much more cruel if you're doing it to a minor and possibly illegal. Yes. Um, So a lot of this is, does the trick work? Does the trick hold up? Yes, and it should be uh, explained that if you go in and you sing poorly, vitamin C tells you how wonderful you are and how you made it your own and all this other stuff. If you sing well... They're horrible to you. They're horrible to you in a way to kind of get you off the show. And I want to spend a few moments just dissecting this because it doesn't happen a lot. They don't show a lot of these. But someone comes in, they sing very well, and then they do something about how it's, you know, disgraceful to the artist. Gladys Knight, I believe, was one of the ones they mentioned. Uh, the one thing that I have to bring up that uh, that Briggs says is, "Okay, Teresa, I've got I've got good news and I've got okay. bad news. Great. The bad news is you are not a strong singer. The good news is you're hot, and I would love to take you out to dinner." Reminder: This is being said to a fantastic singer, and the reason I bring this up is they show him using that line. On two different contestants. Yes. They do repeat bits constantly. Yes. I You get the feeling that a lot of this show was cobbled together awkwardly in post. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of got the impression that the show, the editor and the director and the producer got into the room and went, Oh my god, we don't have the footage for a seven episode show. Well... One of the things that bothers me about the fact that we see it twice is if we see it twice, he must have said it a bunch of times. So there's this feeling throughout the show, especially in the auditions, that they don't have enough footage to make these episodes. I imagine, like American Idol, uh, the vast majority of the audition pool is all right. Right. They showcase a few really good singers so that we can watch the judges bully them. And they showcase, obviously, a lot of really bad singers because that's what the show is about. Right. Um, What's interesting is they re-ran audition footage of both kinds of singers into episode two from episode one. Right. And episode one, I believe, doesn't start new footage till like 12 minutes in. Yeah, it takes some time. There's a commercial break before there's new footage. We live, live, live. But one thing I do want to say about the good singers, before we move on to the bad singers, since that's what the show's about. 
whenever a bad singer is dismissed, they're douches to them. Like, they had the one guy that was... The girl who came from Canada. She drove to Philadelphia from Canada. And they were like, we don't want these Canadians coming in and taking our USA Superstar jobs. (laughs) They all are dismissed in a way that makes them say, I hate this show. And I feel like that was done on purpose. Yeah. So that it's not, oh, I'm not moving on because I'm not good enough. They also made sure it was, I'm not moving on and screw these people. Yeah. Why would I want to be part of this? They burn it to the ground, yeah. essentially. Um, Doreen, I took notes on Doreen because I really liked her. She was Canadian and she sang the Canadian National Anthem. Yes, oh Canada. Which you know was a producer. Like, the produce. The producing in this show is very, very visible. Yes. In real, in a way that it didn't really seem to be yet in most shows in 2004. Well, I think there was an element of they're working with people who are not talented. Mm-hmm. So the direction that you receive when you're on like an American Idol is being given to someone who's a performer and can kind of just adapt it and seamlessly incorporated into whatever they've been asked to do. With this, everything that happens, you can tell that a producer told them because they don't know how to handle anything. There's also this very interesting idea of specific wording with the judges early on, uh, with the particularly bad auditioners when they're praising them. It uh, It is Scottish play level wording. Like, everything is exact wording it's like a prophecy like no man of woman born and then eowyn kills the witch king going i am no man like it's that kind of like oh that is like nothing i've ever seen before like it's that very specific Mm -hmm. i'm not lying yeah but you are invited to misinterpret what i'm saying unless you're briggs because briggs and he does this a few times (laughs) he describes the way you sang as if you made love to the song for a but, long time, but like in long, yeah, it's like you took it home, you took it out to dinner. That was a very sensual performance. You made love to that song. You, you seduced it over dinner. You massaged it. You let it discreetly into the bedroom. You disrobed it. You laid it upon the bed gently. You found a rhythm. In the second verse. You kind of choked it a little bit, and you need to watch that. In the morning, you cuddled with it, which was tender. And then you made it breakfast. And it was great. Thank you. Like, there's so much of just him talking that's just like, shut up, dude. Both of these monologues are a solid 15, 20 seconds, which doesn't seem like a lot until it's a middle-aged British man Mm -hmm. describing what he thinks is a sexual encounter. Yeah. And he's clearly like built up to be the Simon Cow, but he's not mean as much as he is just terribly creepy. Yes, he is horribly creepy. And I I think this would be a good moment to bring up just the sexism that comes out of this show. So one of the main contestants uh, who we see throughout the series is a young lady named Jamie, who does kind of look and sound like you threw Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson in a blender. And... Her voice also reflects that, I think. And she's not... (laughs) The blender part, especially. You know, she's not that bad. She's very hit or miss. But I I didn't actually find her to be that bad of a singer. 
I think one of the things that made her so bad was the encouragement that she was a good singer. So she went for notes she couldn't hit. Well, the interesting thing is, and this is like, this was based in my research. Uh, she actually used to sing at weddings. Really? And funerals in her hometown. And uh, Wow. Yeah, so she actually, her friends were encouraging her to go out for Idol and go out for, like, real shows. And uh, she sang Like a Virgin, right? I believe so, yeah. I was beat incomplete. I've been held. I was sad and blue. But you made me feel. Yeah, you made me feel shiny and new. Like a virgin. Hey, touch for the very first time. Like a virgin, let your heart be next to mine. She had prepared four other songs, and they told her those four songs had been done to death that day. She should sing Like a Virgin. Oh. And, and she said, uh, I don't know the words. And they're like, write them on your hand. The camera will cut away if you look at your hand. And the exact opposite is done. And... Being very young and it being 2004, she trusts that they clearly sell how much she's looking at her hand. And if it's a song you don't know as well. She even says in an interview, like, when she has a singing gig, she's usually more prepared. Hmm. But when you realize that these people are being assigned songs, it kind of shows that, like, full disclosure, I tried out for the American Idol in Disney World. We both did. I tried out for the American Idol in Disney World, and uh, for the callback song, I picked something that was just not a good, like, I just picked a really bad song for myself that I didn't know as well, and didn't have, like, I'd never performed before, and I ate a bag of crap on it. Right. And watching, like, reading that she didn't know the song Like a Virgin that well, and watching her eat a bag of crap in the audition, I super understood how much you could see the producers pulling the strings on Jamie in particular. And Briggs actually even says, To be honest, I don't know if you know this, Jamie. Um, you have very large breasts. Um, they are real. Okay. I'm I just, not kidding. The problem, the problem is I was distracted and I didn't pay attention to your singing voice. So I'm going to have to leave this the decision to, to you two. Could you imagine that happening today yeah it's it's very upsetting and another way that this show fails to be entertaining you know beyond that the premise is a horrible thing to do is it's parroting american idol and something american idol does very often is we're going to commercial break coming up and you will see like the next four people that are going to audition and it's always will jason be able to wow us yeah, I'm feeling real confident. I can't wait to get in there. Or will this lone star from Dallas, Texas be able to charm the judges? Hi. They try to do this with WB Superstar USA, but they show them singing mm-hmm. instead of them just being charming. So the mystery of will they be a bad singer is already missing. And then by the time you come back, you've already seen that they're a bad singer. You're just getting like two or three more lyrics before we're going back to commercial. 
one of the core flaws in the show, and in my note, I took about six pages of notes through this entire series, just on my thoughts on them. And as early as episode one, I have the note, how are we supposed to feel? Do we feel sorry for them? Are we laughing at them? And it's one of the major failures of the show is they feel guilt. They kind of don't go far enough and go too far at the same time. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to care about them. So they never build them up as individual people. Right. But because of that, we're also not invested in the show as much. Very true. It it breaks a lot of reality show rules because they want to keep us distant from these contestants so we don't feel bad for them. And as a result, we just don't care about the show. Uh, Another big failing is the things we're supposed to be laughing at are not things we laugh at today. No, um, there's definitely elements of transphobia. uh, Homophobia. There's definitely homophobia. There's definitely some racism. Yes. Um, I think it's in episode two, because I don't see it in my notes for episode one. Uh, There's also... A, a white guy rapper that my notes say looks like Joshua from Smosh. And then my next note goes, oh my god, I think all white people look the same to me. Yes, well, that guy they nicknamed the Anglo, the Anglio Assassin. The Anglo Assassin, and I don't know if they nicknamed him or if he nicknamed him. Mm, that's true. Um, I think he nicknamed him, that's to be possible. fair. That's quite possible. Um, there's... But let, let's talk about these examples of transphobia here, because we have Ross who comes in. Yeah, there's a young man named Ross who they cannot figure out and misgender a couple of times in the audition. Well, the joke is, uh, Briggs says... There's one question that I think, uh, I think I speak for the entire panel when I say there's one question that's on everyone's mind, and I'm just going to have to ask it. Where did you learn to sing like that? The joke there is that we're the, as the audience, are supposed to think Briggs going to ask the gender. That's what we're all wondering. And I didn't care. And then as soon as Ross leaves the audition, uh, the host, who is MTV VJ Brian McFadden, uh, promptly misgenders him. Yes. Promptly calls him a girl, and he goes, actually, I'm a boy, and it's super awkward. Yes. And then it cuts to the judges' room where they're debating if Ross is a boy or a girl. Yes. There's also two uh, two young men who are definitely... Like, obviously they don't talk about their sexuality that much. No one's... There's no romance in the show. There's no uh, outright sexuality. But they're obviously coded as gay men. Mm-hmm. And that's the joke. That is the entire joke with them. And I don't know if it's maybe... Uh, being 15 years older or just being raised in a place where I knew a lot of gay men growing up, but none of their outfits looked that strange to me. But we were clearly supposed to be laughing at them. Yeah, supposed to be laughing at how gay they were. And it's just like, so? (laughs) Yeah, like there was nothing particularly funny. It's like, oh my god, that boy is wearing a crop top. Yeah, look how tight his shirt is. Uh, and it, I'm looking at it and going like, okay, get, I get it. You have better abs than me. Leave me alone. Yeah, it's it was very offensive, and you have to suffer for th- through two hours of it, two hours of them just not bothering to write jokes. The only joke being, look at these people. Yeah, at least one, at least one guy like 
seems like he is probably on the spectrum. Yes, Mario. And I feel very complicit in, like, when they laugh at Mario, I'm very uncomfortable. And I kept saying this every time Mario was on screen. I just kept saying, why doesn't his shirt fit? Because he was wearing, like, a really big baggy button-up shirt. Mm -hmm. And I could understand if, you know, he didn't come from money or something like that and the shirt was too small and he outgrew it. The fact that he would own a shirt that was clearly that much bigger than he was as a person made me just over and over again go, why did this happen? Did they do this to him? Yeah, the did they do this to him question is definitely... Because I felt that way about JoJo's hat as well. Yeah, JoJo, and then especially when JoJo started having the same hat in different colors later yeah. in outfits. It's like, clearly this they're being provided to him. And we're supposed to laugh that he wore... Not It's, it's also not something that's, like, weird anymore. It's like a, a ska cap, but it was kind of fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, it's a very... It, it's a, like, clear affectation. Um, Tone Lock is the smartest judge because he's wearing sunglasses. And that's a really, really smart affectation because he doesn't have to look at anybody. Yes. Like, I think there's a note in, like, episode five where I comment, like, oh my god, that's what his eyes look like. Because he's wearing sunglasses through the entire show. Um, they keep showing, the, in episode two, they keep showing the same clip of... Uh, Briggs going, knock, knock, and the singer goes, who's there? And he goes, you suck! And they show it so many times, like, it's the funniest thing on the planet. And yeah. it's just insane to me that, like, it's bad writing that's treated like good writing. And I'm like, you knew what you were getting into. You'd think you'd have a couple more writers. Yeah, they knew that this was the show, what the show was. The The fact that they're not prepared to deal with these situations... To get enough footage is insane. And I do want to bring this up as well, because this is something I was keeping note of. All the uh, contestants were numbers. Yes. It became clear to me that the first digit was what town they were in. Right. So all the Philadelphias were 4,000s. All the Vegas was probably like 3,000 or something like that. Then there was the rest of the three, digit, uh, the three d digits left, which never got over 500. Right. So... They only scanned, or they only auditioned, maybe 400 people from each town. Yeah. And, like, even that felt like an overestimate. Because there are no shots, there's, like, very limited shots of them, like, in the audition room. Because they always, they, on American Idol, show the giant line of people who came out. That doesn't exist. And they walk you through the audition process at one point? Like, you've never been to a doctor's office before. Yeah, they're like, filling out forms. Brian McFadden shows you how to fill out a form and sit in a waiting room. Like, that's how short on footage this show becomes. Yes. There's also, I, I've studied a lot of uh, feminist theory in regards to cutting off the heads and shots. And this show does it a lot to women. We're like, huh. it's just chest shots. Oh, or, yes, yes. Yeah, we're like, the shot is... Just of particularly poor Jamie. Yes. When they talk about the makeovers, it's the same shot of her chest in a shiny shirt over and over again. To the point where I was very uncomfortable. Yes, I th think that they were... The excuse is that 
a lot of that shots were shots of the future, so they didn't want to give away who was who made it so far. Mm-hmm. But there is a shot of Jamie coming out of a pool that they use a lot because right. she's in a bikini. But like, she's the only skinny white girl on the show. They clearly <laughs> sell the show on her. Yeah, image wise. Um, there's also an interesting element of some of them. Are genuinely decent singers. Um, one of the top twelve is a man named John Michael. John Michael can sing, and he's really not bad. But he's very presentational and very theatery. Yes, and a little over the top, but by no means bad. Like if you saw him in your production of The Producers as Leo Bloom, you'd be like, he could dial it back a bit. Yeah. But he's not bad by any means. Which is why he's in the top 12 and it's confusing. For his audition song, he does War, What Is It Good For? War! Yeah! What is it good for? Absolutely nothing! War! Yeah! What is it good for? Absolutely nothing! Say it again, y'all! War! Look out! What is it good for? Absolutely nothing! Listen to me! War is the enemy to all mankind. The thought of war blows my mind. Wars caused unrest within the younger generations. Abduction, then destruction. Who wants to die? War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. In that he's hitting notes that are nice. Yeah, he hits the notes well, just very... Bizarrely and over the top. Yeah, just it was a weird choice of audition song. And after hearing what you told me about uh, "Like a Virgin" or with Jamie, I wouldn't be surprised if they told uh, John Michael, "Hey, do something different." And he was like, "Well, I want to show off my voice because you don't show off your voice with war. What is it good for?" There are songs that it was clear that because they kept coming up. There were songs that it was clear they were coaching people to do. Um, One of them is The Way You Love Me by Faith Hill. Yes, there's a lot of that. Like a Virgin, because at one point there is a super cut of people doing Like a Virgin. Yes, which is always what they do with American Idol. So I thought that was, again, them trying to mirror that. But it was no new footage. (laughs) And celebration. Yeah. Like, because at one point I was like, that's odd for someone to pick. That's odd for someone else to pick. Oh, they were told to do this song. I'm surprised that they didn't tell them to do public domain songs so they wouldn't have to pay rights to things. I actually did. nothing but Camp Town Races and Itsy Bitsy Spider, please. But not Happy Birthday. Not until, like, 2015. (laughs) So episode three is, like, kind of a weird waste of time episode. Um, We were 11 minutes in before they even started revealing the top 12. The first 11 minutes of episode 3 is recap of the auditions. Yes, and just to put this in perspective, you watch two episodes, two one-hour episodes of auditioning, and at the end of that, you don't know who's made it. Like, that's insane to me. It's so that they can then make this third episode where they take the people that they liked, because they were terrible, and debate them and re-show their auditions. Then we do get new footage. We do. There's ambush and reveal. And there's actually it's mixed in with so much reused footage that we did admittedly start fast forwarding the reused footage in episode 3. Because it just got to the point where 
we sat down and binge watched this on YouTube. Uh, link below. Thanks uh, to the user from Missouri who posted it. Yes, thank you very much. Um, but we we watched all of it, and when you watch it all like that, it's very very repetitive. And another thing I noticed with how they ambush when they did the ambush sequences, obviously you're not going to really ambush someone in their right. home or anything because you have to set up lights, you have to set up sound equipment, and the shots are intentionally framed poorly. Okay. To make the contestants look stupid. The two that stood out and the two I took notes on are uh, Nina's in her apartment, Nina Diva. Yes. Who's a very fun standout person. She's sitting on her bedroom floor next to her bureau and her bra drawer is open next right. to her. Right. So it's her sitting on her floor next to a pile of her bras. Mm-hmm. And I, having been a woman for 30 years, I can tell you there's never been a time where I would think that was the place I would want to be filmed in my home. Next to my underpants drawer. Yes. Which is the bottom shelf as well, which is also weird. Yeah, it's every other girl I know, it's a top shelf. Exactly. Um, like, like, this was like clearly staged. Like good liquor. Um, and the other one is poor John Michael. They ambush him coming out of a port john Yes. And then the shot is of him sitting next to an open porta potty Yes. And these are like some of the only talking head sequences. Yes. We get for this show. Well, also Jamie is in like a robe. Yeah, Jamie feels very obvious mm-hmm. cuz she's in like a huge white fluffy robe. The likes of which I don't know anyone actually owns. Like it looks like she swiped it from a hotel. Yes. Or more likely like a producer swiped it from their hotel. Yes. And that that also like now that I'm thinking back Mario is completely not surprised because he doesn't know how to act surprised. Because he's, he's like at the mall eating a sandwich. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, cool. Because clearly the sur- actual surprise is gone. Right. And he's not... He's not emotional through the entire show. Like, yes. Mario is somebody we're going to follow through the entire seven episodes and he is not an emotional person. He's not a responsive person. Which is part of the reason I kind of, like, feel strange that we're supposed to laugh at him. Yes. Like... Because it feels like I'm laughing at someone who, you know, might be on the spectrum. It's a lot of punching down in this show. Yes. Uh, As I will really rip into it when we get to the final three. Uh, I can't believe we watched all of this show. But, it like... Mario in particular was the contestant I felt the worst that we were supposed to be laughing at. And I didn't... Rosa was another one, because Rosa is Mexican, and that's the whole joke with Rosa, is like, LOL, she can't speak English well. Yeah, her entire story arc is that English is not her first language, so she forgets the words. Which is funny, but it's if, you know, it happened to your friend at a karaoke bar. But the fact that it's a person legitimately struggling, it's it's really gross. It's And we're going to get into this when we get into the performing episodes, but the songs are assigned to them. They don't choose their songs when they get past the audition phase, and they clearly pick songs that play to the weaknesses of the various people. Yes. Um, all of Rose's songs are 
faster paced with a lot of lyrics. Yes. Um, like she's assigned bootylicious. Because that's not a word. Well, and Bootylicious is a lot of, like, I don't think you're ready for this jet. Like, it's a lot of fast, quick, repetitive words that, like, you don't necessarily pick up the first couple times you hear a song. And if you don't know the song already, like, I don't know all the words to Bootylicious. I know the refrain. Yes. But I know literally no other words, and I'm sure I've heard that song 600 times. Yeah, I have no idea what the lyrics are. Not a clue. I'm trying right now, and just, they are not coming. So we spend an entire episode watching these people get chosen to go to Hollywood. And we see their makeovers, and it's completely nondescript. Like, they do the makeovers, and they show before and after picture, but they don't... They don't change them dramatically for the most part. See, this is where I start getting really upset. Especially for... With Ross. For Ross and for John Michael. Because Ross, they completely cut his hair. Yeah. Like, he goes from having, like, long, like, not not a pixie, like a, a chin bob. length. Yeah, like a yeah. chin length bob. And, and into, the, with the pineapple cut. Picture any male in 2004, and that's what haircut it is. Yeah, they, they go to that. Yeah. So. The, like, kind of faux hockey. Yeah. So he looks completely different. And they end up. Kicking him off the show. In the next episode. In the next episode, because what made Ross Ross is gone, which means they're basically saying, well, you look like a boy now, so it's not funny anymore. Yeah, like they (laughs) they can't play the transphobia angle, ergo, you are useless. And uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more shortly. Um, But poor John Michael, they they dye his hair blonde. mm Mm-hmm. And, like, they give him a haircut. And a lot of people get haircuts. So the idea that they are taking away their identities for a lie is really gross to me. Uh, John Michael especially, they just make him look like Brian McFadden. Yes. So for the entire rest of the season, I just wanted John Michael to, like, do, like, a Scooby-Doo clock McFadden over the head and take his place. (laughs) Like, that would have redeemed the show to me. The show, the core problem with the show, and we'll get into this especially when we're done talking about the entire show, is how it doesn't quite go far enough 
It doesn't commit to its own premise. No, it certainly does not. Because they lied to you. We lied to you. Right. Episode four, my first note is that uh, we were watching it during a thunderstorm and there was a thunderstorm warning in Missouri on the rip that we were watching. Which is fun. And so I was like, ooh, spoopy! And that was the most entertaining thing about episode four. Well, this is the episode where they're performing in Hollywood. Right. And it's important to note here that there are 12 of them competing, but they never get to hear each other sing. Right. Because they're afraid that'll give the game away. And we never see them speaking to one another? Nope. And there are very few talking heads. Yeah, so we never get to know what they're thinking. We spend time with the judges, Mm -hmm. and we get to hear them be mean. And the performances are very, very, very cut down. Yes. Like, for how much filler this show is, I believe we see less than a minute of each performance. So that's 42 minutes, and for 12 performers, we maybe see a total of 7 or 8 minutes of performance. And this is a vital part of the show, in terms of what a reality show is. Is you, as an audience member, getting to watch everyone perform, and try to figure out who will get eliminated and who's moving on. Like, that's that's the crux of a reality show like this, is, ooh, that's a winner, ooh, and, you know, sitting here and being like, oh, he sang too well, and things like mm-hmm. that. And, and two people do sing too well in the first thing. Emily sings Achy Breaky Heart and crushes it. Crushes it. And John Michael sings Born to be Wild, and it's a good karaoke version of Born to be Wild. Yeah. It's, like, I actually have in my notes, like, it's a good karaoke version. I'd buy his table around afterwards. Yeah, it'd like, be fine. And this is where the show super fails, in my book, is we get to eliminations. Right. And we see people get the axe. And I think it was important to then hear what they had to say going home. And we get a little bit. We get like, all right, I guess I'm gone. But it's nothing like, there's no insight gained from it. Like... It would have been really good to hear uh, the girl who sang well say, well, they must be very talented if I'm going home. But that never gets said. No. And they never tell them the show's fake. You have an elimination now every episode. Right. You can give us the payoff of now that you're going home, you can know the secret. You are too good for this competition. They find out uh, via producer phone call. Really? Yeah, JoJo. Gave, uh, the only two people who seem to talk about this show mm-hmm. that I could find online are JoJo, who is the uh, the hat guy. Hat guy, fuzzy hat. And Scott Jamie, guy. who, spoiler, wins. Yes. Um, they're the only two who you see talk a lot about the show. Um, we also, in this episode four, we lose Frankie, who is the gentleman who wears a crop top and the whole gimmick with him is essentially, LOL, look how gay he is. Yeah. We lose Ross, who, again, they cut his hair, and now that they can't misgender him, they don't have a use for him on the show, mm-hmm. I guess. And we lose the Anglo-Assassin, because he's a white rapper, and they're like, ah, you're not, it's, yeah. not, it's a singing competition, you're yeah. a rapper. And we lose Emily for being too good. Yes. And in this show, there are people who still kind of fly under the radar. Like, to me, Omar never 
stands out. Our he's Philly like, boy. Yeah, and he's supposed to be like their Motown soul guy. And he just never really super stands out. Well, in any way. Th- this is a reality show trick. Is you pay... You spend the most time with the people that are going to stick around the longest. Right. So when you're watching a reality show... I'm going to spoil all reality TV for you. Oh, no. If you spend a lot of time with a person, and then that person isn't the one that gets kicked off that week, that person's making it to the end. Because they want you invested in this person. Yeah. Uh, If you spend a lot of time with them and they get kicked off, they're just trying to make them leaving feel emotional for you. But since... The show doesn't want us to connect with them, doesn't want us to feel with them, for them as human beings. We can't connect with them. So they just give us enough of the people who are going to make it to the end. Like, Tamara, we only, we see them only do this with with, uh, Tamara. They coach her on being a diva and have her, like, yell at people and be diva-like. And it's kind of an interesting idea of like oh they're coaching her on like Tamara is another reason I got upset because there's also a moment where she sings well in a song yes like suddenly she finds it and then she loses it and vitamin C says you're kind of all over the place I think when your voice is at its highest is where you're the best that's really really bad because now Vitamin C is actively making her a worse singer. Yeah, they. I mean, they do that with. Uh, they do that with her. They do that with John Michael because John Michael tones it down, and when he does uh, "Born to Be Wild," it's pretty good. And they keep telling him, like, "No, we need more." That performance was too subtle. So they start coaching them to be worse. Yeah, and that now you're interfering with that as a human being. And they push. Uh, they push being sexy to a number of people. Yes. Uh, they push it on Jojo, who doesn't seem to, like, mind so much. And they push it on Mario. And again, like, that feels like they're kind of pushing him in a direction he's uncomfortable with. Well, with Mario, it's never said, but always implied, that Mario doesn't get any women. Because when he gets to dance with women, they push this kind of thing like, there's going to be girls there and they're going to be all over you. And he's like, oh, okay. But he's also engaged. Yeah, they kind of push that narrative of, like, he's a geek. Clearly no women go near him. And he's like, yeah, I'm getting married. Yeah. So that was, like, always very weird whenever they, they kind of hit that button on him. So that brings us to the end of season f- or episode four. Season four, thank God, no. <laughs> uh, episode five is movie soundtrack night. And this is when... You really see them choosing songs for people based on what's going to uh, give them problems. Yes. Uh, Like, Rosa gets Wind Beneath My Wings. And she clearly doesn't... Wind Beneath My Wings is a song from the 80s. This was 2004. So you gotta figure, if all of these people are, you know, early 20s, they were very young when this song was popular. And don't necessarily know it. And Rosa was, you know, Rosa's an immigrant and probably, like, wasn't super familiar with a song from the 80s. Because Wing Beneath My Wings is not super commonly played nowadays. No. 
I mean, it's not a good jam. No. <laughs> and it's not one of the songs that, like, comes up a lot anymore. Like, I remember it coming up a lot when we were kids in pop culture, but never as an adult and never as a teenager. So it seems like they picked a song they knew she wouldn't know. Yes. And this seems common. Stuff like that. And uh, Mario gets old-time rock and roll. And they call him out for not being in his tidy whities which I feel like is so exploitative and weird. Oh, and this is when we're in, in front of live audiences, too. No, he's not. We're not live audiences, oh, no, are right. we? No, no you know what? So. We're not. I didn't think we were. But, like, we see him practicing in his tidy whities which is clearly a producer being like, take your pants off and dance around. Yeah, and that's just awful. Um, t- uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow is where Tamara, uh, Tamara actually, like, nails the song for a little bit. Tamara. Somewhere over the rainbow, spoke on the condition of anonymity told the LA Times that when a performer was doing too well they would change up the uh they would change up the backing track they would speed it up or slow it down really yeah they would uh let me uh let me see exactly what they did to these people LA Times article um they would lower the volume of the accompanying music or suddenly shift tempos. Really? That's interesting. Which I kind of figured out in the finale. that you, I could tell that there was something off with the monitors because of the way people would drift in and out. Like, sometimes for about ten seconds, they'd be, like, in it and on it. And then something would happen and they'd suddenly lose where they were. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I also noticed, especially with Mario... That, like, he always seemed to be starting late. Yes. Like, he always missed his first line. So that makes sense that, like, they're suddenly just turning it up in the middle of the song. Or something like that. That is super interesting. My thought that I had at one point was, we only see such short pieces of the performances. My thought was, did they change the edit of the uh, accompanying music on them? I, I had For that, truncated versions. I had that suspicion because at one point... In one of, like, the bumpers for coming up, uh, the clip that we hear is a cappella, And then when it comes back, it's to music. And I was like, okay, so they have... They're on, like, clearly separate tracks. So they could clearly screw with it. So they would change the speed and mm-hmm. volume of the backing tracks to make it even worse. I have not even dropped the nastiest bomb on you yet. See, well, it's just crazy to me that... Nobody's figuring it out. Yeah. And they... The other assignments are like... They give John Michael Eye of the Tiger, which is another song no one knows the actual verses to. Everybody knows the refrain in the first verse. 
And then anything after that, everyone's like, uh, what do I do? I actually, I've heard a Green Day cover of it. And Green Day sings, rising up, da 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 da. Because <laughs> nobody knows. And uh, Nina Diva gets, we don't need another hero, which is another weird choice. And I don't think they tell her anything about the song or the movie it's from. And she behaves as though, she and Vitamin C both behave as though Thunderdome is a real place. Oh yeah, that's right. Nina, I need to ask you a question. Yes. Have you ever been to a Thunderdome? Um, I have not been to a Thunderdome yet. (laughs) Thunderdomes are very similar to the superstar industry. Right. It's highly competitive, and at any moment, someone could stab you in the back. And I just, I have to say, I didn't see you fighting for your life out there. Well, vitamin C is trying to make her look stupid. Yeah, vitamin C goads this yeah. woman into Have thinking... Have you ever been to a Thunderdome? Is what she asks her. And it, it's very, like, awkward. And this is clearly, you know, episode five, I think they are actually in front of people by this point. I thought they weren't in front of people until it was the final four. Um, because I actually have, they clearly shot this at a breakneck pace to keep the secret. Yeah, John Michael and Nina Diva are both cut in this episode as long, as well as uh, Omar and Tamara. I thought that wasn't in front of people. Yeah, that was not in front of people. Oh, you know what, you're right, it's not in front of people. For some reason that was like one thing I didn't write down was whether they were in front of real people or not. Yeah, it, it's it. They wait until the end to bring people in to be fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is where we lose another half of the group. And I would think these severe cuts would be such a big red flag. That yes. there's that the show is being that there's so, got to be a reason this show is so severe and so brief, right? Because like most of these shows cut one, two, or three, maybe. Three on, like, a big cut when they're going down from, like, 15 to 12. You would think that having it go from 8 to 4 in one episode would be a big tell. There was a moment where I was trying to figure out what the contestants think are happening. Because I don't think they're they're ever thinking that people are voting for them. No. I think they're pretty sure that It's all critics. Yeah, that their lives are in the hands of the three judges. Uh, which is true. <laughs> But not the way that they think. So then we move on to the first time they're in front of crowds. It's the final four. Yeah, we see them getting coached and dancing. And this is where I think they really go too far. And they take them to see mansions and... And really nice cars. Really nice cars to kind of say, hey, this is... The life you will be living soon. And it's very weird because they don't use that much of the footage. Like, they clearly must have shot a day's worth of footage for each of these people. Yes. But they use maybe a minute for each person. It's very short. Because to the point where I asked you, wait, did we actually see that or was that just commercials? But they were advertising the fact that they were going to do this in the first episode. So they've been building to episode six where they do this, and it's maybe four minutes. They also have them uh, interview with a host of extra. Yes. And this has one of my favorite parts in the entire show. Because Jamie, poor harassed Jamie, throws Briggs under the bus 
to the host of Extra. Yeah, as and a pre- sexist asshole. And pretty much just says, like, yeah, he didn't listen the first couple times because of the size of my breasts and what I look like. And the host of Extra is just visibly horrified. To the point where I never ended up sure if she was in on the joke. Yeah. I know the dancing, the dance captain and the vocal instructor are. Yes. But I could never figure out if she was. Yeah. And this segues greatly into what I think is the most disgusting part of the show. Where they get dancers. Yes. Because now they're also going to get choreography. And this is kind of fun. You see them being awkward. And there's a moment of, like, weird growth where it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're getting some of the dance moves. Like, they're learning. Yeah. Oh, cool. They're kind of becoming superstar. How nice. And they lay really into Mario, like... There's got to be sexy girls because you're going to sing this Jessica Simpson song. It's not one of her singles. It's like Sweetest Sin. Sweetest Sin, yes. Which is a song I'd never heard of. And I was, you know, 17 when this was running. So they make him sing what is essentially an Intercourse With You song. Yes. With these two dancers. And then Briggs gets on his case. Briggs says... Now stop smiling because here comes the tough love. Okay. I thought you took some liberties with your background dancers. You were a little hands-on. It was inappropriate. If you are crowned the WB Superstar USA, then you can manhandle, fondle, grope all the background dancers you want because that's what superstars do. But until then, keep your hand out of the nookie jar. Holy Billy Bush, Batman. It's like, whoa, like what a horrible message. Yeah, it's very problematic and it's something that I can't believe existed even then. So I don't know if one of the things we're supposed to be taking away from this is everything they're saying is a lie. So if we're supposed to hear that and be like, that's not true, everything being said here is a lie. But the fact that it's being told to Mario and he's believing it in this new taste of Hollywood he's getting is so disgusting. And uh, this is when we're actually in front of a live audience. Yes. Now, the audience is clearly plants. Like, they were given signs. Okay. We're going to get into the fun story now. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I've Um, done no research. Laura does all the research. So, the audience varied by performance. Uh, For one show, they were friends of the producer who were in on the joke. Okay. And for another show, they were paid actors who were told that the performers were terminally ill. No! Uh, The producer went, who here's heard of the One Wish Foundation? The WB was forced to issue an apology to Make-A-Wish. But that is why people played... That's why they could get the audience to play along. I have been sitting on this information... For like 36 hours and it has been killing me to not tell you because that's been because like I was sick to my stomach when I read that. There is no reason we have to go this many layers of dishonest. So there were paid actors who thought they were doing something for charity. Yes. Oh, my God. Um. The producers worried if they didn't cultivate sympathy, the audience would laugh or boo and ruin the show's concept. Um, 
the incident was reported by the LA Times and uh, execs for Superstar USA and the WB issued apologies. And the producer, uh, Michael Fleiss, was quoted as saying, I didn't say Make-A-Wish. I said, who's heard of the One Wish Foundation? There is no One Wish Foundation. It was a prank on top of a prank. It was the only way to get it to work. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. And that's from a USA Today article. That is not the only way to get this to work. Because clearly it wasn't because you didn't do it that way every time. And uh, one audience member who, again, spoke on the condition of anonymity to the LA Times said, and I quote, I said to myself, there should be some cancer patients who could actually hold a note. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm so disappointed by this. Because, here's the thing. I'm laughing, but it's that horror laughing where I really just don't know how to react. Like, you can kind of justify this show in that these are 12 people who would never get to go to Hollywood and feel like superstars. Right. Even if it is just a prank, in those days, they truly felt like superstars. Right. However, being a paid audience member in L.A., like, which is a place with starving actors, like, there's a audience full of people who are like, I can now put a WB show on my resume. So they're putting, well, they probably didn't call it WB Superstar to them, did it? Like, they had to have called it something else. No, they, I mean, the reason they go with WB Superstar USA... Yeah, they had to have seen the sign. ...is that it so- it doesn't sound like a joke. You don't know from the name what it is. So, like, on their resume, they're like, you know, paid audience member for Superstar USA. They send that resume out, not knowing what the show is, and then that comes out, and then they're the assholes that supported the show. Yep. The, oh, it's that's not a prank on top of a prank now. This is, like, affecting someone's career. Yeah. So we're going to go, uh, we're going to skip to episode seven, because we're already running about I'm so angry. <laughs> um, so... The performances in the seventh, it's perfunctory. We see the vocal training. Uh, Rosa is eliminated. We're down to the top two, who are Mario and Jamie. And they have them sing, uh, I've had the time of my life, immediately. No prep. Right. And this is the first time either one has heard the other one sing. Yes. And uh, Jamie tries to be super nice about it in the interview I read with her. Uh They said, like, did you start to suspect something? And she said, uh, when I heard Mario sing, I was like, what's going on here? I was thinking he'd be phenomenal because, you know, he didn't have an image. I thought he would be more like Clay Aiken. But at the same time, I thought whatever I was going to win. Right. So, like, I guess it's easy for one of them to convince themselves the other one choked. Yes, that's true. And this is another element in which the show fails. Because they've been building up since episode one that this will be the first time that they hear another contestant sing. Right. Will they figure it out? And there's like the stakes of like, we could lose the concept of the show in this moment because they might figure it out right here. And then they sing it and then they move on. 
Yeah. Like there's never any, there's no talking head, there's no questioning. And this reminds me of a show that I really enjoyed called The Joe Smo Show on Spike TV. Right. Which is a Survivor-esque show, but only one person wasn't an actor. Everything right. else was a prank around him. One of the big aspects of that show is keeping the secret. Right. Because the actors, like, make mistakes. And they're like, oh crap, now we gotta cover, because we, 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 we might give the show away. There's no breadcrumbs. Yeah. In this, there's never a moment where it's like, ooh, are they figuring it out? And if that was part of the show, where, like, we see them hear each other, and you see someone go, I don't think they're very good singers. I think I'm gonna win. Like, that would at least... Bring some sort of stakes to this. It was a moment that kind of tipped me off that they were sabotaging the uh, the contestants when I realized that in every American Idol season, they'll bring back an old winner or they'll have right. some random pop star on to sing a song to fill, you know, to fill five minutes. They have vitamin C on the payroll mm-hmm. and she never sings a note. Nope. She's also unrepentant. Uh, she, uh, Billy, Mc, uh, I forgot his name. Brian McFadden. Yes. going to call him Billy McFarland. Um, <laughs> he just, he looks like every jock 90s douche from a 90s teen movie. Uh, but he, he looks like he's starting to die between, behind the eyes somewhere around episode five. Right. Like you can see him start to dread the fact that he's going to have to tell these people. Because mm-hmm. he's also... One of the only people who regularly interacts with with all these the contestants, yeah, like they they hug at the end of every episode. Yes, um, and then Jamie wins ultimately, and Mario just leaves. Yeah, like there's never a talking head. There's never a moment there. Mario literally, they say the winner is Jamie, and Mario literally turns tail and walks out. And they go Mario, 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 and they try to get him to come back. Mm-hmm. Nope. And leaves. I honestly could not tell if it was Mario is so upset he tried to get off stage as fast as possible. Or if the producers were like, when we reveal the winner, the person who wins will stay on stage. The person who leaves, who, who loses, will walk off. And it was just like Mario going, I lost. I walk off now. Yeah. Like, I need to follow my directions. Right. And then we watch the video package, and that's when the show starts to feel, like, really horrific. Is we watch a video package of Jamie winning, and her whole journey. Yes. Confetti falls, like, the whole She cries, and we see this journey, and then they take too long to start showing clips of her singing, and you start to see the smile slide off her face. Like, things are going on too long, she... She'll start smiling again, but it's like a more like weak being game smile. Mm-hmm. And she misinterpreted some audiences jaw dropping. And like, it's a very awkward moment. Yes. It, it, and then the show ultimately gets cowardly. Yes. Now, if I may, uh, one of the things that I learned about psychology is your brain is a cup. Right. And if you like, if you're playing a... Uh, a prank on someone where they're upset and you reveal that, no, everything's okay. You basically, you fill your brain with sadness Mm -hmm. and then you put happiness on top and then your brain thinks the cup is full of happy. Okay. So they're doing the exact opposite here. They're bringing them up as high as possible. That cup runneth over with happiness and then they're going to pour sadness on top of it. 
So, like, we're about to see someone get crushed. Like, absolutely destroyed. Because they spend so much time being like, look, look at your journey. Look how great it all is. But then. And then, like, Brian tells her she's a lousy singing voice. But ultimately, the show doesn't commit hard enough. Yes. To its own premise. As you can see, we were looking for a person with such an unconditional belief in their own ability that nothing could stop them. Not even a lousy singing voice. Jamie, there's a twist to this show. We really weren't looking for America's best singer. We were looking for someone who who thought they were America's best singer. Jamie, we lied to you when we said you were a great singer. But we didn't lie to you about how much this audience loves you right now. Am I right, guys? The fact that they were too afraid to let us get to know the contestants, and that in this moment, he never really tells her she's terrible. He never, like, you can't do Carrie without pouring the bucket of pig's blood. Yes. If you're gonna go this far for a cruel joke, like, in the end, the show feels like it was that delightful high school girl combination of mean and cowardly. Yes. Because it ends with, we lied to you. We're, this is the worst. We're looking for uh, someone who thought that they could sing. You have a lousy singing voice. But this audience here loves you, and we're back up to clapping. Yeah, the paid audience. Yeah. Who might still think she has a terminal illness. We don't know when they found out that wasn't yes. true. And they give her $100,000. And they tell her all the things that, all the other things that go into being a superstar. And they ask her if she's willing to put the work in, and obviously she is. And this is, again, another spot where the show fails. Yes. If they, if the WB then invested in her. If it was then like, this is Jamie, WB's USA superstar. She'll be hosting some sort of show. Uh, like, she'll be hosting a game show. She'll be doing this. We're gonna now take this girl, who was the worst singer in America, and make her a superstar. Then we could do something good. She only ever had two bit parts after that. She was in an episode of Las Vegas as a waitress. Mm. And she was in an episode of of uh, NYPD Blue as, quote, female friend. And uh, neither... She's a, she is a married yoga instructor in the Midwest, according to Google oh. and Reddit. Because, well, at least, like... I, I want to point out, neither of those shows are the WB. If they were the WB, I was like, okay, look, they're trying. But Yeah, if no. she was, like, you know, Sam's girlfriend on yeah. the first ep- first season of Supernatural. Which, by the way, I think the first season of Supernatural ran that Right fall. around that time, yeah. Yeah, that's how old Supernatural is, kids. 
And this is another issue is with Jamie that when they surprised her, she said, I'm from a small town with only 400 people in it. So everyone's going to know her as the worst singer in America. In her small town. In her small town where everyone knows each other. It's just, it's so hurtful. And as horrible of a premise it is, I don't think it's an impossible show to do. No. But they just miss the mark over and over and over again. We we kept rewriting the show to be better. Yes. Um, I think the show would have benefited from waiting a couple years until The Voice was a thing. And parodying The Voice and having each of the judges take under their wing three or four of these people. And be like, you know, essentially My Fair Lady plot of, I can take this talentless hack and turn them into a superstar. Yeah. And then we become invested in them and we care and it becomes a a great underdog story. Yeah, if if they did the reveal like mid season, it's like, yeah, you guys are actually the worst. But we're here to help you. Oh my god. That's that's a great show. Yeah. If if they had allowed us to become invested in them and they'd allowed us to care about them. Now, I when I was researching this particular, uh, when I was researching this show, I found a lot of, uh, a lot of the information I found was in things about case studies of violence and humiliation. Okay. They mentioned this show, this seven episode, one season WB show in at least two case studies of, uh, Changing Qualities in Violence in the Ruminations on Violence journal. And I believe the other one, I I, uh, deleted the citation, but it was also about violence and serial killers on a section about humiliation. Really? Yeah. Well, like, did this show breed any serial killers? No, but I think it was a way that they could convey humiliation in a way they could show that kind of thing. It's, uh... So, in the end, uh, the show did get good ratings. The ratings really? climbed throughout the seven episodes. Really? Because I watched the first two episodes and then I was done with this. Well, as the stakes seemingly got higher, it became like a water cooler show. And they would run it Mondays at nine and then they would rerun the episodes Sunday at six. Okay. So... Obviously, you can't... These prank shows can't run another season. Right. Because you can't fool anybody with the same premise again. Right. So, it's never been tried again. The stunt singing show. Right. Thank God. And I don't think this could be revived. No. At least definitely not in this form. Like, with the bad jokes... Or the non-jokes. The sexual harassment. Yeah. The lazy stereotyping of the various... uh... Because I realized the people that they coached to be divas uh, were Tamara and Nina Diva, and both of them are women of color. Yeah. And... Rose is a laughingstock for the fact that she doesn't necessarily have the greatest handle on English. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only girl that we're really ever built up to root for is the white Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears clone. Who is reduced to just her body. Right. 
And it made me think of Joe Millionaire. Because they did two seasons of Joe Millionaire. Uh, The first one is a story of like, will these women see past his money? And, you know, will they be able to find a connection? And will it remain once the money's gone? The sequel, Joe Millionaire 2, they got the trashiest gold-digging women that they could find. So that it was this kind of like, when it turns out that there's no money involved, and she, like, scampers off, it'll be kind of okay that we laughed because they were only in it for the money and this guy was never going to end up with any of these women. And if you created some sort of reason why we shouldn't like these people that made it okay to laugh at them, then maybe you could do this show. But there's no way that you're going to find human beings so repugnant that it would be okay for all of America to hate them and for them to think that they can sing. Yeah, they they never... One of the other things that the show is missing is the judges never get any kind of comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Like, they get away for the low price of $100,000 to Jamie, 10000 to Mario, and 5000 to Rosa. They get away with humiliating these people. Yeah. That's horrific. Yeah. Like, there's no consequences to them. Other than the fact that we... No one cares about vitamin C. She works for the Disney Channel now. As a... Like, their head of music. And part of me wants, like, her protégés to find this and be like, Hey, you were terrible. Yeah, what a horrible thing you did. Yeah. Her, uh... Her first role was Amber Von Tussle in Hairspray in the John Waters movie. So she's got, like, being a bad person as a pedigree now. Yeah. Who, who would have guessed that from the Friends Forever? From Smile, yeah. Um, but the... I This makes me sound like a psychopath to say that the, it doesn't commit hard enough. But, like, if they were going to go with this cruel joke, the show could have kind of worked as a cringe piece if they'd committed. But it feels like they wussed out at the last minute, realized how ter- terrible they were, and just kind of were like... But you can work really hard. This show has no redeeming qualities. No. Like, even if you have the morbid curiosity to see how this person's going to react when they're told that it's a lie, you don't even get that. No. Because it's never fully explained to them. So did Jamie try to have, like, a singing career? She tried to be an actress. I mean, she got a couple of bit roles... That I list, listed already. And right. Then, no. and now she's she's married with a family now. Well, the prize was $100,000 and a recording contract, right? It Did... was a $50,000 recording contract and $50,000 cash. Okay. So they, she got a recording contract. Did she never just record anything? or? Um, nothing ever came out. The only thing that did come out was the soundtrack... To WB Superstar USA. Okay. Tell me that they profited, as in the contestants saw some of that money. I don't know. Uh. That's not information that is really out there. Um, the financials of shows like this are never really out there. Um, overall, the show is terrible. Um, the ratings were decent, but the hype for the show... Was that it was terrible. All of the articles I found, no one was calling this can't miss TV. Entertainment Weekly, 
um, USA Today, LA Times, all of them had articles ahead of the show. Uh, the LA Times article that said they sabotaged the contestants actually came out ahead of the show. Really? Yep. Interesting. But, uh... Which I guess is why, it like, anonymity was so important. Because I'm sure whoever told them this, like, had signed an NDA. Yeah, and obviously the contestants had to sign NDAs as well before it aired. Um, the executive producer had an interview with Entertainment Weekly, and uh, Dalton Ross asked him, like, please explain to me how this is not the meanest show on television. And the uh, executive producer was like, nope, can't do it. And Dalton Ross is like, so you have a reserved parking spot in hell. Mm -hmm. And the executive producer's response was unrepentantly, I own the parking garage. Wow. So, like, this guy does not feel bad. And let let me just, let's talk again about, uh, what's his name? The the fake Simon Cowell. Chris Briggs. Briggs. Yeah, let's talk about Briggs one more time. There are a few moments where... You see the judges talking casually, where the audition happens, the person leaves, and they're like, wow, that was a rough one. And there's one moment where you see Briggs, like, kind of feel bad about something. Yeah. I think I think it's when he, he dismisses a good singer. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear that, at least in Briggs' mind, he's playing a character. Right. So he's like, I this isn't who I am. You know, this is the job that I've been offered to do. And like you you found what Briggs has done. He was in Poseidon and He's only done production. Yeah. He's not really an actor, but he was a producer on Poseidon, which means at least he didn't really make money off it cuz no one did. Um right. But it's just the show is morally bankrupt and not very entertaining. It's, no. It's seven episodes and incredibly repetitive. Just full of filler. Yeah. And we don't even see that much of the performances because I think even the, you know, even the directors and the producers know nobody really wants to watch three solid minutes of someone being terrible. Yeah. Like, it is so unreality show. Like, we don't learn anything about the people. That they could have made this show with 100% actors. And had it been a prank on us at the end. Where it's just like, yeah, none of this was real. The payoff would have been amazing for that. Yeah, but like, it would have been the same exact show. Like, we wouldn't learn anything about these people. Like, there's not a good reason why they actually did it. Versus just film it. Even if they didn't reveal it to us at the end. Like, there's not a good reason why... They had to actually do this and not just film it as a show. The amount of filler and the fact that we don't find anything about... Don't find out anything about the contestants and the fact that we spend so much more time with the judges just talking smack really makes me feel like they realized in the editing room that the show wouldn't work. Yeah. And there is a moment where I noticed that uh, like Omar picks up some of his clothing mm-hmm. and they're blurring his last name. And I was like, well, that's a nice thing that they did at least. Yeah. <laughs> so that we didn't completely ruin their lives. Because, you know, Facebook wasn't around then, so it's not no. like we could immediately pull up their... Maybe they're on their live journals. Yeah, I know um, Jessica... Or not Jessica. I keep calling her Jessica because she looks and sounds looks like, like Jessica, Jessica Simpson. Simpson. Yeah. 
Um, Jamie has a website that leads to a dead Wikipedia link, her MySpace that's obviously long gone. Yeah. And, like, her IMDb page, which has, like, two credits. Yeah. Ugh. We're gonna have to go in the Wayback Machine and see if we can dig up some stuff. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Laura immediately pulls up the page. Yeah, I had this... I, I have my laptop in front of me and I have a few things in the chamber. Um, it's just the Wayback for WB Superstar USA. And just the, you know, the best singers were sent home... And it's just a synopsis, and they kind of have that, like, this is what the show is. It's dated June 11th. It's clearly a summer replacement, which makes it perfect for our first theme month of reality shows, as uh, this is being piloted Mm -hmm. in the summer, much like a summer replacement. Um, Yeah, they have the makeover madness pictures for the final four. Um it's really not much there. It's a lot of dead links because I don't of course. because a lot of this isn't supported by modern machinery. But in the end, this show exists clearly because the people at the WB were like, "We need something like American Idol, right?" Because that it's the biggest thing in the world right now. What can we do? And this was their answer, and very short sighted, and. Not nice. Not fun. It it wasn't enjoyable to watch. It wasn't... I, I found myself cringing. I found myself desperately wishing I was doing anything else. Yeah. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah, not fun. Not well produced. Not done well. Not Nothing is successful. So I think this is uh, for our first show and our first foray into the television graveyard. This one's gotta stay doomed. Yes, yeah. I, I let's rebury it in an unmarked grave so no one can find it again. Oh. Links available below. Yeah, I will. If you really want to watch it, don't. You've got better things to do with your time and your day. It's it's bad. You can find actually just like clips on YouTube. Watch clips if you must watch any at all. It's depressingly bad. It's homophobic. It's kind of racist. It's transphobic. It's sexist. It's just... It's just crap. Yeah, it is just plain crap. It's just a prank, bro. So, uh, thank you for joining us on this first installment of Stay Doomed. My name is Laura Prince. Yes, and my name is Noah Houlihan. So what will we be watching next week? So, for next week, we have exhumed a vampire! Ooh, exciting! And four other alts as they lead 10 guests to live with them in a mad mad house yes very excited to watch this again because i watched this one first run uh it aired in 2004 so you've had a little time to breathe yes indeed it is currently available on hulu if you would like to catch up before the next episode yeah watch along with us until next time stay doomed